Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. I, I don't usually speak out of one translation uh, all the time. Uh, there are different translations of the Bible, and the different translations on the Bible deal with basically two concepts. It is either uh, a word-for-word -word translation, and that's going to be like your NASB, New American Standard Version, and stuff like that. Your King James Version or New King James Version would be in that area of... Um, uh, literal word for word and so sometimes they'll use big five dollar words that are hard to understand and so you either get to look them up or you know them you know or there's a, another uh, dynamic it's uh, called thought for thought and so when you put these two different types of ideas together like thought for thought or translation is going to be your NIV your New Living Translation um, different translations like that. And so uh, there's a spectrum. And so word for word, uh, thought for thought. And then there's Bible, Bible translations that kind of fall in the middle all the way down there. And so I, I don't speak from like, I, I use the NASB. I use the New King James from time to time. And I use, um, from, I, I did use the New Living Translation once. And I, I will use it again at some point. And then uh, I use Holman or Christian Standard Bible. And so the reason, uh, just a reminder of, of why I don't use necessarily one translation all the time, is because these are translations from original manuscripts that we no longer have. Those original manuscripts are called autographs, and we don't, there are no original autographs anymore. What we have that we take translations from are copies of copies of copies of copies of copies that go back all the way to original copies. So we don't really have anymore the actual letter that letters that Paul wrote or the actual letters that John wrote. What we have are copies of copies. Now that's good because throughout the years what you see is hardly any deviation at all, which is which is good. And so uh, I use different translations from time to time and I do it as the Lord directs when I'm talking about either books of the Bible or if I'm doing topical. So if you're like, man, I thought he was using the NASB. Oh man, I thought he was using this Bible. I'm using them all from time to time. And then a lot of times I will sit down when I do my study and have a couple different versions of the Bible translations of it. And then what you do, uh, this is kind of a Bible study thing for you. It, it's not bad to have a couple translations to look from, one word for word and one thought for thought. And then what you do is there are so many Bible apps out there. There's one called, um, well, let me see what this is. Olive Tree, which is very good. I also have Logos, which is absolutely phenomenal. If you ever know, learn how to use it, but it's, it's got a lot of good stuff. Um, Olive Tree is a really good uh, Bible, is, or Bible app as well uh, because you can buy certain things. You, you get a Bible which has Strong's in it. You can touch the word. You can go back and look at what the Greek says. And so those things are important, and they are right at your fingertips. So really, we're living in an age right now where you don't, I mean, in years past, um, people going to seminary would have killed for this stuff right? Because it's just, it's just so readily available. So as you're doing a Bible study, um, you can get into deeper than just, just reading devotional, which is fine, but you can get yourself a little Bible app. If a word comes up, you're like, I wonder, is that, 
you can pop that word and get an understanding of what the Greek says, or if in the Old Testament, what the Hebrew says. And so this is exciting for us today because we these are, this is for us. We can able to get in there. We can be able to understand and engage what is really being said and spoken and have a deeper and richer understanding of the Word of God. And we need that more than ever today because the reason I bring this up is because... Um, there is a spiritual war declared against the people of God. And that spiritual war is, 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 is abundant and happening, always has been, but it ramps up from time to time. And so what we do not need, what we cannot have, is people who are going into spiritual warfare unarmed with the word of God and the understanding of it. Amen? Amen. So you get taught the Word of God here. You can, uh, you can get some of these very inexpensive tools to help you in your devotion. Okay. That being said, open your Bibles to Galatians. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 5, and we're just going to be going through some of this uh, a little quick, and then we're going to hit the, the fruit versus the flesh. Okay, so a little uh, bringing it back. Remember, we're talking about Galatians, the problem with the Galatians church, right? Um, they started off good, but one of the first things that Paul has told them from the very beginning is, right, is, how did you get so messed up? This is the Steve Harmon translation of the original Greek. How did you get so messed up, right? What were you thinking, right? You ever get that from mom and dad and you're going, what were you thinking, right, when you did something stupid, right? And so, um, <laughs> anyway, so you get that, and so this is kind of like Paul is saying, right, he's the one who's, who's, uh, started churches and planning churches and starting it right and starting it with the right theology of what they should have and all of a sudden there's something happening there's something that's going on that is is not good and he's hearing from it and the thing that is going on is he's having what we would call Judaizers or people of the law who are sneaking in and they're saying to this church hey it's not just Jesus it's if you want to be really holy it's Jesus and the law and so you really have to okay so Paul is going to he is going to fight that vehemently, right? He is going to go after that because that has no place in Christian doctrine today. It's not Jesus' hand. It's Jesus only. Jesus is the only one who's died for your sins. He's the only intercessor and mediator that you should be going to, right? It's, it's, it's nobody else. It's not Jesus and the law. It's not Jesus and Mary. It's not Jesus and anybody else. It's Jesus and Jesus only. And we have to protect and fight, and when I say fight, I mean defend the truth of the gospel, and we cannot bend on the major doctrines of what the Bible teaches. And a major doctrine of what the Bible teaches is that Jesus is the only one who is recognized by the Father to be perfect, to be the sacrifice for your sins. End of story. And so you cannot add to that. So some people will say, hey, you have to be saved and you have to be baptized, or if you're not baptized, you ain't saved. Now, baptism is very important, but it's not something that's placed in as a part of salvation. It's salvation. Baptism is obedience. Baptism is not something you have to do. Baptism is something that's exciting that get, you get to express about the joy that's in you of going down in death and being raised up in life again. Now, we used to say that it, it's an outward expression of an inward transition, and, and that's kind of true, but it goes far more than that. 
So baptism is really, really, really important, okay? But it's not on the line of salvation. So let's say Steve Harmon is, is going out somewhere and he's having, doing an evangelistic mission, right? And, and thousands of people come to the, the altar praying and weeping in revival, right? From the word of God that has come from his mouth, right? And, and all of a sudden, terrorists come in and blow us all up. And we get to the gates of heaven. And he's like, man, you were so close, but they got to you before you got baptized. So I can't let you in. Do you hear the silliness of that? Okay, so baptism is important, but it's just not on the line of you have to do it or you're not saved. Okay, because it's the same thing as what they're talking about here in Galatians, same principle. Although it's not about baptism, it is about the law. And, and New Testament people, us, are so good at claiming to be free, yet throwing the law on other people. It's just, it's just, yeah, you, you got you to gotta know Jesus, but if you don't live right, pff, probably going to hell. Because this is what Jesus did. He went to the cross. He was beaten. He was flogged. Blood all over the place. It was a mess. It was a massacre. And then they hung him on the cross, and he bled some more, put thorn of crowns on his head, which pierced him, blood coming down there, blood off his back, blood off his front, nail-pierced hands and feet. And blood. He did all that so that you could mess up once afterwards and still go to hell. Does that sound right? Well, it isn't, and it's not what the Bible teaches. But we treat it like that sometimes when we deal with other people who fall short of the glory of God without recognizing us who fall short of the glory of God as well. Now, I'm not teaching that you can do anything that you want or that you should do anything you want. What I'm saying is, is you can't put a law on people that God has removed off of his people. You can't set conditions to salvation. Okay? He's done it. The only condition around salvation is whether people receive it or not. So it's not like, it's not like um, a universalist idea of everybody's saved, they just don't know it yet. It's not something like that. You have to receive this. To those who would receive him, he gave the right to be sons and daughters of Christ, right? So it's about, it's about reception. <laughs> That's it. Receiving the gift. And so what's going on here as we're going through here is... is uh, He's, he's hitting some, some big words. He's saying, you know, if an angel or anybody else comes and preaches to you a gospel different from ours, let him be accursed, cut off, anathema. He says, if I start preaching a different gospel to you, let me be accursed. This is how important the truth of the gospel is. We are cursed if we are preaching something that's not the truth. So you have different religions uh, and some offshoots of what they would call Christianity that have had extra revelations from angels that take them away from biblical truth and start teaching other things. Okay, that falls under the guidelines of, Revel of Galatians here. That is an accursed thing. Doesn't mean that they're horrible people. Absolutely not. It means that they're deceived. Because they've taken, they've taken something. You have to understand your enemy. You have to understand how good the, the devil is. The Bible says that the enemy can transform himself into an angel of light, deceiving even, even the what? The elect. Who's the elect? Right. So if you're not on your toes and using your mind to do correct doctrine, you will not be 
uh, you can be deceived. You can be deceived. This is why it's important to have a good community of people around you. So if you start slipping in deception, somebody can come alongside and say, hey, that's, that's not quite right. Okay? And so now that, that Paul is not living in Galatians with these people, there's some people coming in and they're taking them off of, like, if this is the straight line of the gospel, they're like, right here. Right? And so it doesn't seem very far from the truth, does it? But the farther you go down the line, the broader it gets away from each other. Okay? And so the truth, uh, and so there's, there's this big fight against truth today, right? Your truth is your truth, and my truth is your truth, right? You know, it's like your version of the facts and my version of the facts, right? And my truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth, and we just get to God on, on different ways. That is a doctrine of hell. It's a doctrine of hell, and it's a doctrine of deception. There are not many ways to God. There's one way to God. Jesus says this, does he not? I am the door. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes some specific uh, statements in Scripture in the Gospels about being the only way to be reconciled back to the Father. So there cannot be many ways to the Father if Jesus says he's the only way. So there's no black and white in this. There's no shades of gray in this, what we're teaching and what we're talking about. And, and, and some of us are feeling kind of the, uh, the tug because that truth is being, trying to be pushed into an area of gray that it doesn't fit in. Well, Jesus is the only way for me, but he may not be the only way for my neighbor. See, it starts in, in those general terms to start sliding off. You know, I, who am I to say? Who am I to say that we're the only way? Well, it's not about you. It's about what Jesus says. And when you start drifting into those arguments, here's what happens. You call Jesus a liar. He's either the truth or he's a liar. And those are the only two things you got when it comes to the gospel and the truth. And so you either receive him, have who he is, or you really don't receive him at all. What you receive is a cultural Jesus that makes you feel okay, but doesn't convict you of anything. Make sense? Now, Steve, that message doesn't bring people flocking into the church. I realize that. But you can, I can preach a different message. I can, I can preach and I can make you happy. I mean, I, I used to do community theater and theater at, I'm very good at being a hypocrite on stage, which a hypocrite, the definition is just an actor pretending to be something you're not. So I can be that on stage. And guess what? I could probably bring a lot more people to fill a lot more seats. But I would become a Pharisee and make people twice the sons of hell as I am because I'm preaching something that's not true. Right? And so you don't want to start going down those roads because it's hard to get back unless you've got good people on your side that are calling you that are... All right. So we don't want to go, so there's some cultural stuff going on, there's, and now there's cultural Christianity, and then there's, there's this religious, zealot, law-type New Testament people, right? And they're always hammering you. You gotta, you gotta do all this, and so Jesus saved you, but now, now it's up to works, and you better, and you gotta keep yourself saved. And if you mess up, gone, baby, gone. Well, that's not the gospel either. If works couldn't get you saved, your works can't keep you saved. 
Your works are not a part of your salvation. The works that you do after salvation are, are evidence of the transformation in your life. And so now, when I came to Christ, things changed in me immediately, and things became a process down the line of change. So there are some things that got, like, because I lived, I don't know, I lived, I worked at Jack's Discount and, and um, Shopco and all that kind of stuff. And back in the 90s, um, there was none of this political correctness going on that there is today, right? And so things were, and Dan can back me up, things were said and done back then, and it was, it was the standard. It was the norm, not the exception. And so the mouth was filthy, it was wretched, it was horrible, and those things were all over, and people relished that, okay, that type of atmosphere. Okay, so when I, when I came to Jesus, right, some things changed immediately. There was a conscience that was given to me by the Holy Spirit that said, okay, there's a lot of things here that I don't want you to do anymore, right? He wasn't, he wasn't beating me down with a law. He was saying, listen, there's something that's happened inside your life, and there's a better way to go, and I want to lead you in that. And I, as a believer, want to submit to that. I'm never going to be perfect, but it's my pathway. And so as I'm going down that road, one of the things that happens, like, Steve, you know, your mouth, why don't you just stop? You know, there are four-letter words that are English that aren't swear words, and you could use some of those instead of all the bad ones, right? Okay. That was almost instantaneously. Drinking almost instantaneously, about three or four months afterwards. And I didn't quit drinking because I was legalistic. I quit drinking because I, I didn't know how to be social. <laughs> I went straight past social right into Hammerville, okay? And so there was no line for me at that young age, and I didn't really have a huge community of people. And so being in that community would draw me into places, and so I had to retract from that. And I'd say, listen, I can't go out and just have a glass of wine. It was, if you have one, you have 10, so don't have any for right now. And so, and so those things, and that, that was about maybe three to six months. And so I walked back from that. I said, okay, I got to make a choice here of whether I, I really want to be a great witness for Christ or, or I don't. And so I want to be a, as good a witness as I can. So I stopped those things, not because I'm afraid Jesus will strike me with a lightning bolt, but because I want Jesus to be evidently seen in me. And so I'm doing some things that the Holy Spirit is asking me to do to better reflect the glory of God. And it may not always be the same things with you. There are some things that will be the same, but there, there are things that will be different. Some of you can have a beer. That's okay. Some of you can't. And don't do it. Don't do it. Because you know what the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to you. You know that, you know, some people are like gossips, just like other people are alcoholics. It's the same principle in the sense. It's an, it's, alcoholics call it a, an addiction, and I, whatever, that's fine, you can call it that. But a gossip is no different in that sense. Somebody who just can't keep their mouth shut and are always talking about people's back, it's the same principle as someone who just can't put the bottle down because it's gripped you, okay? And so these things of the flesh that we're going to be talking about are, you can call them addictions, but in reality, they're the things of the flesh, and they have to be dealt with as they have to be dealt with. Okay, so um, he talked about two covenants, right? He talked about uh, Sarah and Hagar and one being 
Mount Sinai being where they got the law, being the covenant of slavery. So now he's actually calling the law slavery. If when you, you'll understand more about that as we get into Romans for Sunday school coming up. So, um, this is going to be stuff that's going to be hard for the Judaizers to really hear and listen to, but it's the truth, and he's challenging them with it. That's right. And he's, he's trying to help those who have walked into freedom, Gentiles that are walking into freedom, not to come under the slavery of what the law did in the Old Testament. So, in chapter 5, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Ouch. Take note, Paul. I, Paul, tell you that if you yourselves, if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Now, what is circumcision? We all know circumcision was a sign of the covenant of the law, right? And so if you were a Jewish boy on the eighth day of your birth, you would go and you would get circumcised to show that you were a part of that old covenant between Israel and God. And so what he's saying here, which is going to be very hard, uh, that he's saying that uh, if you get yourself circumcised, what he's saying is if you yoke yourself to the old way of doing it, he's like Christ is no longer going to benefit you because you will never, ever be justified by the law. No law will ever justify you. And so it can't be Jesus and this because they are opposed to each other in the sense of salvation. It's not that the law is bad. The law is good, as, as Paul would say in Romans, right? Because it shows me how sinful and how fall, far I really fall. from The law is like the holiness of God, unstoppable, right? And, and nobody can measure up to that. So it can't be a measureless law and Christ because the law produced a curse and Christ took the curse upon himself at the cross. And so why would you bring in a law that showed you a curse when, you've, when Christ has taken the curse upon himself? There's a reason he said it is finished on the cross. It's not just the work. It's the ending of the law to justify yourself. It is finished because he has fulfilled it. He has fulfilled it. He has fulfilled it. All your sacrifices in the Old Testament that people were doing, all the lambs, all the turtle doves or doves, and all those different kinds of stuff, all those things that were happening were pointing to the one that was going to finish it all. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God, who what? Covers? Takes away. Because the Old Testament, your sins were still there, they were just covered. In the new covenant with Christ, he actually is taking the sin from you and placed it on himself on the cross. Which means that from God the Father's point of view, he no longer looks at you through the eyes of a law because it's been fulfilled. He looks at you through the blood of his son, which was enough. If it is enough for God, it should be enough for you. So don't come back to a law that has already been taken care of and dealt with on the cross. It's not Jesus and. It's Jesus only. But we are human beings, and it's very easy for us to want to go back to, oh, just show me a set of, set of rules to follow, and I'll just do that. Trust me, that is not easier. Okay, uh, moving along here. Um, 
He says in verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law uh, are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. In an old understanding of growing up, in reading that, I was, oh my gosh, you can fall from grace. You better watch what you do. That's not what it's saying. He's saying, if you trust in the law to justify you, you've fallen from the grace of God who has saved you. So it's not like, oh, I, I, I made a mistake on my pathway of following Jesus and I'm alienated. No, 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 no. He's like, you fall from grace when you trust in law. And he's telling this to people, Judaizers, who are coming in and trying to really lay a yoke of slavery on people, uh, Gentiles, and people who are, who are rejoicing in freedom. As a matter of fact, they're jealous of it. Okay. Uh, for through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. So, the Jews don't get to say, hey, I'm circumcised. I'm better than you. And the Gentiles get to, don't get to say, hey, I'm uncircumcised because I'm in freedom of Christ and I'm better than you. It's like that stuff doesn't matter. It, it's, it's faith and the cross has a level ground. Which means that Billy Graham does not sit at a higher seat at the cross than I do. In the realm of salvation. Now past that, he may have greater crowns because of what he's left behind as rewards. Pretty sure he does for, if he's compared to me. But that has nothing to do with the love of the Father on us both. Okay. You can't let this stuff get in because he says in verse 9, a little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. That means you can't, you can't, you have to withstand this argument. You can't allow it to creep in because it's going to, it's going to spoil everything for you. All right, let's move along. Now, in verse 16, here's where we're starting. Well, I say starting, but you know what I mean. I said, then walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Listen, you cannot walk by the Spirit if you don't have the Spirit in you. Okay? And having the Spirit in you is you receiving Christ for who He is, and then this, the Holy Spirit comes and makes His home in here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving my heart to Jesus. I mean... I, People say that I gave my heart to the Lord. I get that. That's, that's just a term people use to what they're really meant. It's like, listen, I've recognized the sinful wickedness of who I am and that I will never measure up to anything unless Jesus intercedes for me. And so I've received the salvation of Jesus Christ for my sins, and I surrender my life to him forever. There's not a whole lot of people that may come down to that altar call. They may come down to, you give my heart to Jesus because we don't really understand what that means. But when we start talking about what it means to be a true disciple in the faith, and now listen, if I'm calling you up and I'm calling you out in an altar call, or I'm saying, hey, this is your time right now, I'm not calling you to say a little prayer and then go back to where you were living the life you lived. You're coming out. That means you're coming out of the world that you lived in that was producing death, that was, had a law and had evil, and you're being transformed by the blood of Christ walking through that, and now you are a new person. 
If you come to an altar call and you walk away the same, you didn't get it. You weren't surrendering. Something wasn't missed. You may have been moved emotionally, but you didn't make a decision to say, it's Christ and Christ only, and I'm pursuing him no matter what. Whatever he wants, I will do. Whatever he asks, I will give. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm saying the path of a disciple, the path of someone who is hungry, is going to look at everything around him. When Jesus says, I want that gone, I want that gone, I want that gone, I'm going to replace it with this, this, and this. The disciple is, yes, Lord, I just want what you want for me. And a lot of times we, we may feel that way in the beginning, but we lose something along the journey, the passion and the zeal, the good zeal for the Lord. The pursuit, that hunger and that desire that I had when I first gave it to him. See, I don't think that ever has to go away. I think the problem is, is that we, we table it to an event that I gave my life back in 1995. Listen, I'm giving my life every day of my life while there's still breath in it. Not just for salvation, but just because I want to be a better him, not a better me. I want to reflect the glory of who he is better and better. And that may take me surrendering more and surrendering more and laying it down and not picking things up so that he can glorify me, he can sanctify me, so it all goes back to the glory of who he is and what he can do in a life. And the heresy that we face today is that, oh, Jesus loves you as you are and doesn't want you to change a little bit, any bit, honey. That's a form of godliness that, de that denies the power of God, that Peter would say. I'm not forcing anybody into this. We're not forcing anybody into this. But if this is what people say they want, then you've got to know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, I preached a message like this one time in our youth ministry. We had about 15 or 20 people. And I said, there was stuff going on. And I said, man, I'm not in here to be your babysitter. And I'm not in here, like, this, this is what I said. I said, the way they were acting when someone was giving a testimony, I just simply said, this is why most of you will probably not amount to anything in your life. Because you have someone who's pouring out their heart in the testimony of what Christ did, and you're sitting here doodling on whatever. And we didn't even have good phones back then. I said, if you're not interested in, in going after Christ, I don't want you to come back. So we went from about 20, 25 to 3. And I'm not going to lie, I was scared because really, you know, when you're, you're supposed to do a youth ministry, going backwards is not really the model of success that businesses look for. Hey, we were making a billion dollars a year. We hired Steve and we're down. We got 40 bucks in the bank. What happened? Right? Steve, you're not measuring up. Now, I never felt that from the office. I, I felt that on me. We went down to like three. But you know what? There were three people that wanted Jesus. And we built from there. See, sometimes when you think you're going backwards, what God is really doing is refining and let him take you back to the place. To you, it may seem like, oh, I feel like I'm going backwards. But Jesus is just saying, hold on. If we want to go forward, we got to deal with some of these issues. And they're back here. Let's deal with this so that we can experience a type of growth that you really desire. 
See, too many times uh, it, with our children, we've allowed certain um, attitudes to prevail in their life because we're too tired of fighting the battle. And it can be tough. It's the same way, I think, when it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Not that He wants to give up, but there's some times when we don't feel like we're progressing because He said, your attitude's not right. And the Father is not one to, to give. Sometimes He takes you to the spiritual woodshed, Pilgrim's Progress. Sometimes He's cutting stuff off you that you thought was really good and He don't like. Sometimes we have to allow that to happen to ourselves, and not just once, but continue. You know, in your devotion time, some things you can be asking is, Father, I know we've been in a relationship for a while, but is there anything happening that you don't like that I haven't listened to? Give them the opportunity to speak. But if you do that, be prepared to listen and hold your heart accountable to be obedient when he speaks to you about it. This is why some people's devotional times are not too deep because they don't want to go in, into that area where God is going to, to do some real work in our lives. I'd just rather keep it, here's five minutes, I read a piece of scripture, it wasn't too bad, it's my, it's my ibupro, spiritual ibuprofen for today that takes away the inflammation but doesn't deal with the problem. I had a, I had a, I went to a doctor one time. I was like, I was having pain. But I, I don't know, I remember that softball game we played in uh, years ago when we won first place. Anyway, <laughs> it had nothing to do with me. But anyway, uh, just, I remember uh, it was a, I ended up playing shortstop in the condition that I'm in now. And, uh, you know, shortstop is a tough position anyway, but it's a lot harder if you're a fat guy, right? Because you're not just, you got to take all this extra stuff with you to going from side to side. And I got to tell you, I was doing all right. It was church league, so I wasn't up against, you know, the real heavy hitters and stuff like that. But it was church league, and a lot of those people were heavy too. So I felt like I was okay. This is why we don't preach about gluttony in church. So anyway, as, uh, as I'm playing all that kind of stuff and going, I, you know, I was like, I was feeling really good about myself because my mind was telling my body it could do it. And my body was like, well, just shut up and do it and see what happens the next day, right? And so I remember going to bed that night, and I'm like, oh, I'm a little tired, achy. I got up the next day, and I could not move my shoulder past this for like a year. I had a frozen shoulder, right? And so my body was like, now, can we remind you that you are not 18, that you are in your 40s, that you are a fat guy who drinks too much Pepsi and you need to take care of yourself. You can't do the things you used to do with your young while you abuse your body as you're old. And so I was not happy with a shoulder. So here's what happened. I don't know if it was a tear. I don't know if it was a frozen shoulder. Um, they didn't like do an MRI, but I knew I had some stuff. They gave me some cortisone, which cortisone takes care of the pain, but it doesn't fix the problem. And then I'm like, I'm still on some, I'm still on, I'm still, I'm a little sore here. And he's like, man, here, just take tramadol. It's like, okay. Start taking some tramadol. Not, but tramadol is not like ibuprofen in the sense of you take it and you feel good. Tramadol is something you take that you build up in your system that then keeps the pain down. So what that tells me is that if I keep taking the tramadol, I can lie my body will lie to me and says that there is no pain and I can keep living the life that I'm living thinking I'm okay 
because I've told the body to shut up. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so what we're dealing with now in, in a lot of, and I'm, I'm not down on the medical profession. I go to doctors. I, I like them. I don't have a problem. But the idea is, is we're more interested in treating symptoms than we are sometimes of, of getting to the root of what's causing the issue. And in your spiritual condition, you can never do that. You have to get to the root of, of what is producing bad fruit in your life. Because you can't trim bad fruit and expect it not to grow back because it comes from a root somewhere deep within your life. And what's in the root will always be reproduced on the branch. That's why, as Christians, you've been regrafted into a vine. You were a wild olive branch, but now you've brought into the vine of Jesus Christ so that you can produce the right type of fruit. Okay, let's get to the fruit, and then we're out of here. Now, the problem is you've got flesh and you've got spirit. Flesh, the law, people trying to be justified by the law. Spirit, faith in Jesus Christ. The flesh, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. Does that sound familiar? Somewhere in Romans I heard the same type of familiarity. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, right? Here we go. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hated. Hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and any of the similar. Whew. Anybody stand up here, raise your hand, and say, man, that doesn't apply to any of me. If you do, then you're a liar, and you've just violated it. So, okay, because we all struggle with it. And he says, as I told you before, that those who practice these, these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what is the works of the flesh? Sexual morality. Let's go through the real, real quickly. Is uh, the, the Greek word, oh, let me go to that one. The Greek word is uh, pornea. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? The Greek word is pornea, and what that is really saying, it's illicit sexual intercourse, right? Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals. Why do we have to put laws on the books? about that because people do it we we should not have to put laws on the books about that type of stuff but we have to because people are so grounded in the flesh and the roots are so much in the flesh that it's naturally going to produce this kind of stuff so we got to put laws in the books Sexual intercourse with close relatives. Oh, here's a good one. Sexual intercourse with a divorced man or woman. Worship of idols. All right. Woo! Let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. We got 15 flesh things here, and pretty much the first one is, is man, a lot of people guilty, right? But not only that, but we have moral impurity, um, and I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to murder the Greek, akathasia, uncleanness, physical, and moral sense of impurity, lustful, luxurious, uh, prolific living if, of impure motives, right? Promiscuity. Um, <clears throat> E-R-I-S, eris. 
um, contention, debate, strife, variance, strife, debate, contention. Okay, so some of these, are, there's not a long definition of it, just this is what this means. And so <clears throat> strife and contention, right? Um, so what's been unleashed in the world today, and I sound like a broken record, but it's just true, is that some families can't even sit at the dinner table today and talk about certain subjects because of the strife and the contention involved around it. And maybe they have different perspectives. And so because of that, strife and contention and that subject has become their God instead and something that they love more than the people who are supposed to be their brothers and little brothers, sisters, or father and mother sitting around a table. And some people want to blame this party, and some people want to blame this party, and the reality of it is, is you got to really focus the blame on yourself because you're the one that's allowing the contention and the strife to come into you and affect other people. All right. Uh, idolatry. Okay, here's a big one. Edio, elo, elo, tria. Something like that. Okay, I'm pretty sure I didn't get that right, but it's what it looked like. You know, phonics worked for me. All right. So this is the worship of false gods and idolatry, right? A formal sacrificial feast held in honor of false gods uh, as worship of mammon. In plural, vices springing from idolatry. Okay. So it's idolatry. So idolatry, you know, it's very easy to look in the Bible and say, you know, oh, idolatry is bad. Look at those people. They are serving a false god. They are serving Dagon. They are serving Baal. They are doing sacrifices to Baal and all that different kinds of stuff. But let me just ask you something and put it out there to you. Sometimes we don't have a problem spending $150 a month on some of the greatest packages you can get from Dish TV. But whenever somebody talks to you about giving something to the church that would produce something in a kingdom matter, we go, whoa, man. They're always talking about money. But I got to have my NFL package. I got to watch every football game. Oh, God, I can't believe that he spoke something about uh, a building offering that now we got to give to. How horrible is that, God? But I got to have my MLB package. I have to have my NFL package. I have to have all these different kinds of packages. Oh, I don't, you name it, I don't care. But that's a worship to a false idol. Your sacrifice is your money. You're paying your offering to a false idol, if it's your idol. I'm not saying the NFL package in and of itself is evil, but if you worship it, then yes. The evil is actually you putting that higher above God. Let's just get it down to brass tacks. All right, which by the way, are there really brass tacks and do they work? That's a question. Okay, we'll talk about that later. All right, sorcery. Looking at sorcery, right? Pharmacia. Pharmacia. Where, where have I heard pharmacy, right? Where we get over pharmacy, right? I am not saying that a pharmacy is evil. It's not what I'm saying. But listen to what it's talking about. Sorcery, witchcraft, right? The use or administering of drugs. Poisoning. Sorcery, magic arts, often found in connection with idolatry and fostered by it. Okay, so you get sick, you go to the doctor, he gives you um, drugs, right? He gives you an antibiotic. It's okay. Take your antibiotics. 
they're talking about back here is people who are worshiping false idols in witchcraft and sorcery and are taking the type of drugs that will alter their consciousness. Why do you think you drive by a bar or something and it says wine and spirits? Because they're connected. This is why the Bible says to stay away from strong drink. Why strong drink? Because it will alter. Listen, man, the worst thing that ever happened in your life, if you go to the bar and you get drunk, is you get beer goggles. Some of you don't know what beer goggles are, but they are not cool. What they means is, is you're perceiving in the world what's going on as your mind is being altered by what you've drunk, drinking, drinking, right? So some of the worst problems you ever get into are the decisions you make while you're under the influence of something else. Sometimes you think you're a lot stronger than you really are. What, what influence does is, is teaches your mouth to write checks that your body can't cash. Been there, done that. Got friends still doing it. Hate it. All right. Hatreds. Oops, wrong button. Stop that. Okay. Hatreds. <clears throat> Hatred. Guess what? Hatred. Enmity. You say, well, I don't hate anybody. Ooh, let's do a review of your heart. I've certainly struggled with hatred. I think most of us at some point have struggled with hatred at some point because it's something that's natural to the flesh. And since the flesh is kind of still around, we're crucified and continue to crucify and walk away from, there's still those little hatreds that try to work themselves in, into our life. I hate that guy. I hate that girl. Such a jerk, such a witch, such a blah, 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 this, that, and the other. And you may have to work, or, or, or for crying out loud, go to school, right? Junior high, anybody? Hatred, <laughs> hatred, right? And you're versed on it. Now, I don't know that I really felt that hatred in elementary school, because every, you know, kind of, everybody was still kind of coming into it. And you know, that's why you were friends from people in, in kindergarten that you were no longer friends with in junior high. Because in about fifth grade and junior high, you know, all the cliques, all those, all those things that everybody, we all know, we all have to deal with, and people make fun of people, and all, and all of a sudden hatred gets a hold in there. And so we come to church and we see, we hear, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hate you. And you're like, you know what? I know what the word says, but I've got so much hatred into what that person did to me in front of so many other people. Been there, done that. And it becomes this little seed that sits itself into the soul, the emotions of where you're at. This is why your mind is ever so clear of what happened to you. 20, 30, 40 years ago. And it's still vivid because we haven't released it through forgiveness. 
and the seed that was planted 40 years ago is still there and it's grown into a bush. And now it's no longer about that event. Now it's about other events and the hatred is growing because it's a seed that's growing into something bigger and it wants to produce the fruit of hatred in you. So it doesn't just no longer stay at that vent. That vent becomes a root to spread into other areas of your life. And now you hate this person because they remind you of somebody. They haven't even said anything yet. <laughs> and you ever wonder how that happens? You walk into a room, uh, you hear people talking like, oh, I cannot stand that person. Why? Maybe they remind you of something. Maybe it's the same, feels familiar, but you don't know why. But there's hatred that's attached to that because there's a root somewhere down the line that's buried deep. Amen, Steve. All right. <laughs> like, well, we'll amen you if you get to the good fruit, right? Okay. Well, there's more bad fruit than, all right. Oh, I did that one. Jealousy. Okay, we understand that. Jealousy. Um, what does he say here? Oh, uh, zeal and perhaps personal thing. Fierceness, uh, indignation, pun punitive zeal, right? Um, Kind of like husbands being overly jealous of wives. Uh, anger, thymos, right? Passion, angry heat, anger forthwith, boiling up and soon subsiding again. Ooh. Yeah, drive in Chicago and you'll, that'll come out, right? Yeah. I'm not, I, seriously, we drove in Chicago to pick up my father-in-law and the Fast and Furious guys came by. It may not have been the movie stars, but they were actually fast and furious because they were doing 120 on motorcycles, flying. I'm, I'm, I'm doing 75, yes, five miles over the speed limit, forgive me, but they're doing 120 at least, cars going in and out. And I'm telling you, there are outbursts that are desiring in your flesh to come out at that moment. And you feel justified because somebody is doing something that's not right. And so you feel that your outburst of anger is justified because of what they did. But in reality, you have an outburst of anger because you're fleshy. You can be angry and not sin. You just can't be angry and judgmental. Selfish ambitions... I'm like, I can't. Electioneering or intriguing for office. <laughs> I don't write this stuff, okay? All right. Apparently, the New Testament, uh, courting distinction, a desire to put oneself forward in a partisan and fractionist spirit which does not disdain the lower arts. Partisan, fractionist, the word is found before New Testament times only in Aristotle where he denotes a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. What he's saying is, is it not just out there, but it's also in here, in the church. The selfish ambitions are looking for a title or a position, not a servant heart. You're not doing it out of the love that God talks about it. You're doing it out of your own needs. All right, decisions and, frank and, um, and division is just that. 
It's anytime, we'll just use the church. You know what it's like in the break room. You've been there, but you've got to recognize that sometimes it's going to happen in the church where all of a sudden you have, you think you have the right to do or say. Sometimes people think that their opinion matters all the time, and I'm here to tell you it doesn't. Some people have such a high thought of themselves that they think that they have to give their opinion in every single way. And if you don't follow that opinion, then you've offended them. And there's divisions and factions that begin to happen. And then what you do is you start drawing people to your opinion. And while your opinion is right and their opinion is wrong, and how could they do such? Let me tell you something. That is a form of witchcraft. How could the pastor say such things? How could the elders say such things? How could this? Oh, and that's just nothing but the fruit of hell coming out to bring a division and a faction in the church. For what purpose? To destroy its unity. Because if the church doesn't have unity, it doesn't have power. Envy, drunkenness, carousing. We know what drunkenness is. You have an understanding of what envy is. Carousing. I'll give you that one. I thought this was kind of funny. The nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus or some other deity and sing and play before houses of male and female friends, hence use generally a feast and drinking parties that are protracted late into the night and indulge in revelry. Sounds funny, but it's not so strange as you might think. Again, a lot of times I reference that to last call at the bar and where do you go from there. All right. I know you're tired, and it's still only 1120. Okay. Says that is the flesh. And those who now listen to me, those who practice this, those who have who have positioned themselves that this is this is what you're doing, this is habitual. And it's not all, it can be habitual in just one. But if it's habitual, it means you've set your course on that direction. And you don't get to blame anybody else for it. It's like, oh that person made me sexually immoral. Listen, you didn't slip on a bar of soap and fall in bed. It wasn't an accident. It was an intentional and it was a choice. I know it seems silly, but we make up these, these situations in our mind to prove to us why we can still do something that is wrong because it's not our fault. That doesn't work with the gospel. If you, if you believe he's an all-powerful God and you submit your life to them, then you must believe that he's an all-powerful God who can bring transformation and lay the axe to the bad roots in your life. You just get to submit to it. I'm not saying it's instantaneously, but you have to be on the pathway of it. Or you don't inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Agape, right? Yay! Love. All you need is love. Right? They would have been a great worship band had they given their life to Jesus, huh? Okay. 
Brotherly love, affection, goodwill, love, benevolence, love, feast. What he's saying is, like, listen, this is the type of love that God's people should have for each other because it's the type of love that God has for you. And so the love that comes should be the love that goes out and experienced in the body. Everybody should just want to stand up right now and hug one another because we love you. We love each other. Joy. Uh, ben taught on joy, right? Joy received from you, the cause of occasion of joy, person uh, of persons who are one's joy, right? So there's a joy that comes in submitting myself to the glory of God that, that habitates inside me. You ever seen those people, like my wife, right? They always seem to be happy. And people who are not joyful look at people who are like my wife and like, oh, can't be real. Sometimes I wake up to it and thought, are you really happy? Come on. You just woke up. Excited for the day, even though going through hardships. I'm like, give me the drugs, man. Make me feel better. But there are people, we, sh we should all be experiencing that type of joy. It should not be the exception. It should be the rule for God's people. Yeah, I got problems, but I got joy. Because I know who the Lord is. I've seen him be faithful in my life. He's proved himself over and over. So I know that whatever I'm dealing with now, even if it comes to the end of my life, I'm gonna go, I want to go out in joy. Not to say that, uh, you know, but I know where I'm going when I'm done here. All right, everybody. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Okay, if we took you to a court of law, would there be evidence to prove it? Amen. All right. I've been watching uh, detective movies. Okay. So, peace, right? E-I-R-E-N-E. -E. Irene. No, it's not Irene. Anyway, peace. A state of, a state of national tranquility. Not feeling that. Uh, exemption from rage and havoc of war. Peace between individuals. Harmony occurred. Security, safety, prosperity. Uh, because peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous. Of the Messiah's peace. The way that leads to peace, salvation of Christianity, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Hey, listen, I should have joy because I'm assured of my salvation in Christ. I don't have to worry that anybody can take it from me. The devil can't take it from me. You can't take it from me because it was given to me by the Messiah and I have received it. It's mine and I'm assured of it. Gentleness. Also translated as meekness, mildness, humility, mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, meekness. Typically, those people are good at counseling. I'll tell you why. Because in verse 6, as a brother or somebody caught in wrongdoing, you who are, spirit, are spiritual should restore such a person with gentleness or gentle spirit. Self-control. Oh, self-control. The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions his sensual appetites, temperance, right? So, it's a fruit of the Spirit. I didn't have to go out to 
I didn't have to work for it, I didn't have to strive for it. What I get to do is submit to it and allow it to, it's already, there should be already seed in there if I'm in Christ. And so what I do is I water the seed, right? Nobody plants a garden and then doesn't tend it and expect something to be produced from it, right? So I'm watering that seed. I'm tending the garden inside here of, of the fruit seeds that have been planted that are going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, of, of, of all these things, against such there is no law. So when I'm living by the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in me, there is no judgment from any law anywhere on the earth, including other people. All right. Long? I know. But so important. Because you're going out into spiritual warfare whether you know it or not. You got a world that hates you, and now it's ramping up, and it's hatred towards Christianity, and it's lies towards Christianity. And you're going out into a type of warfare now. And the type of warfare you're going out to, Paul would say in, I think, 2 Corinthians 9, where he says, like, the, the war that you're going to fight, you, you can't fight with the same things that they fight with. It's not about guns and knives. It's about I can't have the same attitude towards someone that they have towards me when they hate me. That means I, if they hate me and they, they come at me and hate, I can't respond in hate. I got to respond in love. He said, and that's not necessarily natural because, listen, if you come at me, <clears throat> you better bring a sack lunch because it's going to take you all day, right? You can't come back with that same attitude that someone's going to come after you with. If they're going to come after you and hate, you've got you to gotta not hate. You've got to say, I'm sorry. Where is it that, what is it that you hate about me? Can we pray about this? You say, oh, man, Steve, come on, that's weak. It is if you're fleshy. It's strength if you're Christ-like. So now those people are always hammering you in the break room, always saying stuff about you, all these different kinds of stuff. What are you doing when you're out of the bank room, out of the break room, in your prayer room? You should be on our knees praying for them. Why? Because that's spiritual warfare. Because you're not going to turn that person to Christ with your fists. You're going to turn that person to Christ through your sacrificial and unconditional love and service to them. See, Jesus didn't come and get to the Romans. He could have called ten thousand angels, right? But he didn't. He took it and he responded in love. Yes, he told the truth. He told the truth to the Pharisees and all that, but even that, as, as they're nailing things into him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And our response to people that attack us is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so our prayers are like, Father, when the war is real, when the pressure is on, when the anxiety is high. Father, you have said that there's a peace that I can have in the midst of all this. And so my job, your job, in the midst of a culture that's going to hate us and reflect that hate is to love the hell out of them through the spirit of Almighty God. Because he did it. And if he's in me through the power of Holy Spirit, that means I've been given all of those tools to do the same thing. The question is, is will I submit to it? Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, 
please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife at aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.